Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And this is the Scene From Above podcast, bringing you news and discussion about Earth observation. Follow us on Twitter using at EOSceneFrom or the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode, we try to work out what we do. A little bit of a divergence from what we normally do in, in terms of the news that's still going to come, but starting from this year, we want to make a few slight changes. And the first changes really want to highlight in 2022, the hidden EO stars. Perhaps these are people just sort of quietly getting on with their job or contributing in a way that isn't so visible. What we plan to do is let the community control this. We will read the proposer and the person proposed out and just say thanks. So you can reach us via the normal channels and we're going to try and put out a tweet on the first week of the month to remind you and perhaps even remind us in many ways, this is sort of driven by Stephen Ramage's tweet, and I think it's his pinned tweet at the moment, if you want to go and have a look at it, and please do. This time around, I just want to highlight uh, a few people that have been mentioned. So um, Nathan Thomas, he he mentioned Pete Bunting. Pete Bunting is, I guess he's not so much a hidden EO star, but a lot of people perhaps don't know who he is, but um, certainly behind uh, RSGIS Lib, massive impact academic guy from Aberystwyth University. Stephen Brumby, who's been on the podcast before, hi Stephen, highlights Daniela Moody. So she is working at um, Arturo.ai. So go and check out some of the cool stuff that, that those guys do. And another person that came to me, Nathan Felidi from TELUS. And he said, my, my dad, Lanny Felidi, helped create the agricultural market in EO starting in 1994 and has been awarded by NASA in the past. That's phenomenal. And then the response to that tweet was quite interesting as well, saying, um, yeah, your dad taught me agricultural retail sales and all things GIS. I love that kind of historical giving thanks to people as well. So this is this is fantastic stuff. So let's do the news then. Uh, 19th of January 2022. Firstly, I guess the SpaceX launch. What do they call it again? <laughs> the Transporter 3 the second launch of 2022 this is how far this is how fast things happen and on this launch was a huge load of super doves i think 44 of them yeah off the top of my head um there's satellites from you know the usual <laughs> i mean we say the usuals <laughs> capella umbra alba isi if, if i missed you it's not intentional that's exactly the thing isn't it there's so many going up on this one that yeah be very easy to accidentally miss someone if you're not following it it sort of creeps up on you doesn't oh another one's gone off <laughs> it, it is fast paced to say the least it's just amazing to me the number of things that are going up and the diversity of the companies i think that's the thing that's becoming more exciting is that we're now getting to the beginning i think of where there's a real variance in the companies that are being able to put up small sats so for for quite a few years we've been talking about oh well small sats really brings down the cost of development and of launch as well but to be honest we've mainly been talking about the same sorts of companies over and over again and i think now we're beginning to get to a point where actually what we've been talking about for the last two or three years is coming to fruition and we're going to see some really exciting stuff happening in the sort of launch and the small sats area in the next i don't know 24 months something like that um talking of satellites some of you would have seen that sentinel 1b has been having some issues basically it's 
not looking great for uh, 1B. S- slightly worrying time. And um, there was an update yesterday basically saying that uh, the European Space Agency is now considering accelerating the launch of the sort of next Sentinel-1 to go up. It'd be interesting to see how this plays out. It's not certain at the moment that it's a lost satellite. They're still working on it. I think really what we've got to do is just keep an eye on the news and see where this leads. Anyway, Best of luck to them, and hopefully Sentinel-1B will be with us for some time to come. It's not rocket science, is it? Hey! (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) Anyway, you made me chuckle as well because you said, speaking of satellites, and I thought, well, that's all we ever do. Speaking of Sentinel-1, Mort (laughs) Canty has been publishing these series of four posts. Part four is now out on Google Earth Engine, of course. Phenomenal series that he's put together. Again, maybe a bit of a hidden star, if 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 I'm honest. Brilliant documentation, wonderful sort of setting the scene, really detailed in its mathematics and walking through the... I love... I mean, it's just... I I think in the last two years, this this stuff has just... The ability to communicate via the code, yeah, via notebooks and collab and all this kind of stuff, has been really powerful. But you've got to follow it up with informative diagrams, meaningful text, all this kind of stuff. And this is... These are brilliant. I'd be really interested to understand what the impact is on textbook sales and people writing books about this. Because like you say, some of the tutorials and guides and documentation that you get around the tools that are slowly becoming the norm or rapidly becoming the norm, they're there with the data and you can just interact with the data as you read along and and follow the tutorial. And I wonder what the impact is on, on the more traditional ways of disseminating data because textbooks still exist they're not dead yet yeah i also think actually a lot of people like to have a book in their hands so i don't think it's necessarily one-to-one replaced it so we can't really do the news without talking about the awful explosion in tonga yeah i mean we just hope that everyone in that area is able to survive the best they can uh, until help arrives It's been another case where satellites, I think, have been used in the media a lot. And certainly certainly social media are are spreading some quite amazing and astounding imagery. Just the fact that we are able to capture this type of imagery, I find really compelling to begin with. But I just hope that the imagery can also be used in the rescue and the redevelopment and rebuilding phases as well. Yeah, I saw somebody had superimposed the size of the explosion, is that the right word, over France and pretty much covered the whole of France. Yeah. So that's the kind of extent. Okay, getting on to more lighter things. When I say Kaggle to you, what do you think? I think it's a machine learning competition. Interesting. I think most people would say that. The interesting thing I found about it this month was that the vast majority of activity is done through Kaggle for downloading public data. Oh, right. Actually entering a competition is a tiny percentage. Completing a course is a bit higher. Creating a notebook is a bit higher. But downloading data is the top thing. It did make me think a couple of things. One, it's actually a really excellent place to go and learn, brilliant place to get to grips with a lot of data science. I think it's owned by Google, may have got that wrong, but it certainly runs everything via the CoLab. So it's really integrated. And if you've not ever given it a look, I really would encourage you to to give it a look because I, I think it would really surprise you potentially. And the other thing is, and this is not a fully formed thought as many of my <laughs> thoughts are, 
is if that's where people are going to go and download public data, why don't we distribute all satellite data in that kind of way? Finding data is still a problem. We have had improvements in that, but still for the non-specialized user, it's still a non-trivial event. My counter to that would be satellite data is a pain to handle in that it's large and bulky and unwieldy and it's difficult to find the thing that you want because you have to search spatially and temporally. If we were to just recreate portals in Kaggle, then I, I don't think that would be very useful. But if there was a way of making data available that was different to what the status quo is and that was easily ingestible into some of these models and learning resources that you were talking about, then I think that would be quite a cool thing to try and do. Potentially, it could be just a, a set of links into the data. So a kind of front end for stack. It's not a fully formed fork. But I still think typing into Google download satellite data doesn't really work. My final piece of news is that the Euroconsult report has come out on the space market. And basically, the space market is huge and getting bigger. Earth observation is comparatively tiny which is interesting. Uh -huh. We always know that though, don't we? And in that tiny section, it always goes to defense. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Earth observation accounts for about 5% of the total market. Satellite navigation has now surpassed satellite comms. Those two are the big ones. But I, f I find it very interesting that EO is so small in that I've always known we're a sort of niche market sector, whatever you want to call us. But at the moment, there seems to be so much hype, in particular with interested people coming into Earth observation, hyping up about how it can make such a big difference. And that as soon as others begin to understand its use, then it'll it'll take off and it'll be a huge proportion of, of the sort of space market. I look at this and I think, really? I, I don't know. I think it's a bit like the Linux, Windows, Mac sort of operating system argument that for years people were saying, oh, it's going to be the year of Linux on the desktop. And it never was. And I don't think it ever will be because people just aren't that interested. And the other two have such a huge hold of, of, of that desktop market. And I sort of think that maybe we need to stop kidding ourselves that everybody's going to be coming around to the idea that Earth observation is the best thing ever which like we all think it is. But actually, what will probably happen is someone will find some way of using Earth observation to do something that's useful to a large number of people, and that that will start to increase that market share. Imagine that pie chart that's the space market by application, the one that's got 41% SATCOM, 51% navigation. Imagine that split is 100 people, four people on space market EO. And I just don't, I don't think the market by application reflects the distribution of work within the sector, within that 4%, I would say over 50% of it is defense. So are we all fighting over a small piece of the pie and kidding ourselves that it's not as big a pie as it potentially should be? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Analysis ready data, ARD. What does it mean to you? Um, what does it mean to me? And that is an interesting thing about analysis ready data. And I think it's never going to go away potentially in terms of its definition. And there's a really nice blog from Matt Hansen, really, really quite detailed and, and sets the scene and the history and what does ARD mean and the level of processing and, and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes people in the GIS world potentially come to it and say, I just want to use the data. <laughs> isn't this done? Why am I having to get involved in whether it's been corrected or, or, or not? But, you know, there's, there's some good points in here saying, you know, what, what, what is 
ARD to one person is not ARD to another. I think we've gone through four quite extensive workshops about analysis-ready data. And there was a there was a point in the UK that it was quite a hot topic. It's, it's almost a watch this space, isn't it? Cool. And that's it for the news. Okay, topic time. So this time, we're going to try and address potentially the hardest question in geoscience. And that question is, why is it so hard to explain what you do, if you could put in brackets, to your parents, to your grandparents, to the plumber? But why is it so hard to explain what we do? Because it's such a fundamental question that you get asked. It's almost like the second question you get asked after you know, what's your name or where do you live or, or whatever it may be? What do you yeah. do? It'll be interesting to see if we get to this point at the end. I think ultimately what we do is the crossover point between geography and science. And I think those two words in the general public sphere are so poorly correlated that you can't instantly, unless you're working in that sphere, you can't instantly put them together to make sense of what that means. So, you know, what do you do? I'm a geographer. What, you make maps? You look at flags? What do you mean? I'm a scientist. Oh, you're in a, you're in a lab or in a white coat. I think that point about geography is key, though, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but certainly over here, there is a, a stereotypical a sort of amusing character of the geography teacher. And geography is something you do at school and never do again. And yet that's so far from the truth in that Almost everything you do has some components of geography or geographical theory linked to it. I was in my 20s. I was traveling and I spoke to a few people of my age at that time from America. And they said, oh, you know, what, what, what did you study? And I said, oh, I, st- I studied geography at degree level. What? What's geography? So I'm not sure if that is a subject in the US or it was then. <laughs> I, I, I think I probably opened a real kind of worms there. But I was quite surprised. I was like, well, we... We basically do geography lessons from the age of 11. And I just wonder about the geography and science being poorly correlated. Anyway, what we're going to start off with, I think, is describing what we think we do. So who wants to go first? Shall I go first? Yeah. (laughs) So this is quite interesting because in our notes, it says, describe what you do. And I was thinking, I'm not really sure what I do. I guess overall, I would say I'm a geographer with a specialism in Earth observation and satellite imagery. But that doesn't really describe very well what I do. I mean, it gives a general overview. I guess these days I run a business that employs software engineers to write software that uses satellite imagery and other geospatial data sets. I guess what I do is I'm a businessman in the spatial sciences. Oh, that sounds that sounds weird. <laughs> Uh, I think this topic is going to be really interesting because if I can't even decide what I do or a good way of describing what I do, then it's no wonder that others find it difficult to understand what I do. Yeah. So what do you do? I can't answer it in a one or two worder. At the top of my CV, I have a personal statement and it says this, I am a geospatial slash earth observation specialist with two decades of working experience. I have a range of industry experience from large multinational companies, SMEs to startups, and working for myself as a freelancer. I'm a twice-published author of technical books and co-host of the Scene From Above podcast. I've written over 120 technical blog posts on geospatial technology. But that's not what I do. That's just a 
statement of things you've done. Yeah. But then I did think, well, if you've got my CV, you're not interested in what I do. You've probably already accepted that's what I do potentially. So then I thought, what what do I do? And we've had this sort of conversation a, a few years back where, where we kind of settled on the idea of earth data scientist, because data scientist was the cool title, wasn't it? And we yeah. just put earth in front of it. But I, other than you and me, I've never really heard anybody <laughs> use that term. Um, so I thought, what what do I do? Well, I wrote that I work with satellite data and or other data that is associated with a location to address geography problems. And that, I guess, in a sentence, is what I do. But I don't think that really helps you in that kind of first meeting somebody environment, you know, like if you were at a non-industry event. And to put it in context, I wrote down, what do you do? I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a pilot. I'm a secretary. I'm a flood modeler. For each of those five things, they're just sort of random jobs that I've come up with. But there are follow-on questions. You know, I'm a doctor. Are you, do you work in a hospital? Are you a GP? All this kind of stuff. But you've yeah. already put in your head what, what that means. No, I'm a flood model is probably about as close as, as you're going to get to what we do that someone can understand. The follow-on questions really gauge how interesting what we do is. I think sometimes they see the spark. Sometimes if you get the right question, my eyes light up. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, I'm in it yeah. now. And, you know, and, and I can't stop it. It's like a diatribe. I asked my family this question. I said, well, you know, when people ask you, what do I do? And I, I've got a, a young daughter and a partner. The first thing they were saying was, I work for myself. That was the first thing that came to their mind. A few years ago, I dabbled with calling myself an environmental technologist. That also doesn't really help describe what it is that I do. The whole thing about asking your family what it is you do is something I, I've done as well in the past. And I think when I was at school and I was studying geography, they got that. And then when I went to university to do my undergrad and I was doing geography, but I had a very strong interest in meteorology, I think they got that. And then I started to diverge my interests into GIS and sort of land cover monitoring using satellite data. And I think that was sort of probably about the limit. That was fine. And then when I, I started saying, oh, I'm, I look at spatial epidemiology using satellites. I think at that point, <laughs> totally lost them. And I don't think I've ever really got them back. They just know I do something with satellites and that's it. At your uh, eulogy of your, your funeral that I'm sort of imagining at the moment, <laughs> if, you're a, if, you're, if you're a lawyer or a dentist or whatever, so you know, Alistair did 40 years at the practice and rose up through the ranks to be the, the chief dentist and then went on to to start up a series of other dentist partnerships and yeah. was very successful before having a wonderful retirement away from dentistry, playing golf, whatever, you know, the huge stereotypes there, obviously. And then we say, Alistair, oh, he loved the satellites. <laughs> he really loved that data, didn't he? He loved looking at those pictures. He looked at those pictures for, for 40 years and then set up a business to, well, not quite sure what he did, but seemed to be relatively successful and then retired. And I know what I don't want to be disingenuous, but I do think that really we're, we're geographers and scientists and it, it covers such a broad range that it's hard to describe it in one word. But I think we almost do need that word. I looked on ads on Indeed to see if they could describe what we do and they can't. <laughs> <laughs> 
one of them said, we are looking for an enthusiastic Earth observation technologist. So that's how they defined what you do. So if you said to somebody at a party or whatever it may be, what do you do? I'm an Earth observation technologist. I, I think you've lost them straight away. I don't think people really know that that's a job. It doesn't sound like a job, does it? Earth observation, you're thinking, what, you look at the Earth, which of course we do as scientists. But that sort of, it just sounds a bit strange. When you ask that question, you sort of, you're trying to look at them, in the person in a way to sort of say, what previous knowledge have you got here? The simplest thing to do would be to say you're a cartographer and then hope that there's no real follow-on question that you're going to be honest about. What do you do? I'm a cartographer. You make maps? Yep. And that probably would be enough until they say, oh, Dave up the road needs some maps drawn. Could you do those for him? And then you're like, well, actually, <laughs> I'm not really a cartographer. Why do you say you're a cartographer then? Um, but getting back to the, the job adverts, they never really seem to define to me what it is that you do. It's rather what we do and then what the responsibilities of that role are. Because when you, we you know, what do you do for what do you do for a living? You don't say, well, I'm, I'm responsible for looking at the flight plan and then, you know, making sure the fuel is all, you know, all loaded up and yeah. all the baggage is loaded. And I, I do the announcements and then what, what are you talking about? You, you're the pilot. The last thing I wrote down, to, I was like, well, how do you define the career? I found this quote and it said, um, a geographical information systems analyst is a hybrid career of data analysis, cartography, brackets, map making and programming. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that's not too bad. Sadly, the next sentence, maybe not so coherent, put simply, colon, a GIS analyst is a map maker who uses technology to create a digital presentation of spatial and geographic information to build a database of information and create digital maps. I started poorly with put simply colon. I, know. Like, oh God, I had to read that code. I was like, yeah. what? And as soon as you say put simply, you need to say cartographer or something like that. But yeah. that's the thing. That's the thing that to me encapsulates it all. Put simply, we can't put it simply. GIS analyst is something... Certainly within certain careers and industries, I think people do understand exactly as described there, a mix of data scientist and cartographer with a bit of coding ability, etc. And then I think there's this, this huge gulf around quite a lot of roles that seep in from other industries as well. So things like data engineers or machine learning scientists and all these things that are applied to geodata. We always try and describe, like we in the industry, always try and describe Earth observation scientists as something that's quite specific when actually it probably isn't. It's far too general. And what you should be saying is, I don't know, software engineer or data scientist or data engineer or cloud architect or whatever with an interest in spatial or something like that because most of the jobs that individuals get to do are jobs that exist elsewhere maybe we just need to remove the spatial bit from everything that we talk about or the earth observation bit maybe it's not helpful we are scientists or if we're not scientists we're consultants or if we're not consultants we are software engineers yeah um, I think we kill ourselves on the terms geospatial and spatial because I just don't think anybody really understands them. I don't think there's a broad enough knowledge of the word for it to be meaningful. So our topic is, why is it so hard to describe what you do? My question to you is, 
do you think it's important to be able to describe what you do? Or is it important to you to be able to describe what you do? So a few years ago, I would have said, yes, it's very important to me. And it's important that I'm able to convey to others what I do. However, I think now I'm not that hung up about being able to describe what I do. I know what I can do. I know who I can help. And I know how I can help them. And so my job really is to go and talk to those people, make sure they understand how the problem that they have can be solved without confusing them too much about the methods that might be implemented, but with sufficient detail that they don't feel that they're getting sort of fobbed off. I don't necessarily feel that I have to state what I do, which, as I alluded to right at the beginning, is good because I feel like I'm I'm doing so many different things at the moment that I don't really I don't really think there is a description of what I do. I mean, I can give you loads of tasks that I complete, but I wouldn't say that describes the role. But, it, it, but in essence, you've just described exactly what we've been talking about. For me, I think it is important to be able to describe what I do. When you've got a family, a young family, you, these are things that are talked about. Oh, what, do, what does your dad do? Uh, yeah. That is something that is not easy especially when you know you've got some, some parents doing some pretty cool things um, and you're trying to make it sound cool. But sometimes, as I say, the, the coolest thing to say is that you work for yourself. Interact with the podcast on Twitter via at EOSceneFrom and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. Thanks for listening. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. Bye. The machines will do it all. Path is not an easy one to walk through. So take me with you. And you don't have to go alone. The life is growing. I could ask you to pick up the Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.